Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is probably best known for his tenure at Valve, working on games like Half-Life 2, Portal 2, Left 4 Dead, Counter-Strike, the list goes on. He's currently working on his game, A Little Kitty, Big City. I'd like to welcome Matt T. Wood. How you doing? Hey, Reese. How's it going? Good, good. I want to make sure that I emphasize the T, because there's actually quite a few Matt Woods. There is, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah, there is. that's why that's why I had to start using the T. Is yeah, yeah. You don't want you. someone mistaking you for someone else. You gotta you gotta get that credit, man. It, it was only because I don't actually. Yeah, it's it's so weird, you know, because I don't go by Matt T. Wood other than like credits on video games, right? That's pretty much the only reason that T exists. So how know? did that how did that come about? When did you figure out that you actually had to start putting T in your credits? Um, I think. Let's see. The first credited. How was I credited? Let me let me think for a minute. So uh, I worked on Max Payne, Duke Forever. I think both of those I was credited as just Matt Wood, and then probably Half Life Two was also Matt Wood. And right around that time, I just I, I don't know. It was like you know uh, Moby Games or uh, you know something. I was looking at like names and you know and there's like you said there's like twenty Matt Woods. It's a very common name. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize there were that many people. So how do I I just remember back, you know, like um remember Michael J. Fox, right? So uh he uh he had to use the J because of that was um uh that that was for other reasons, like uh for, for the uh, guild or something. But I was like, Oh, I should do that. I should put my my middle initial there. And uh so I started doing it around I think probably episode one of uh Half Life episode one. Uh, so yeah. And it's stuck. Hmm. And it's stuck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, you got to stick with it. You got to keep it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for taking time out. I was worried uh, it would be actually quite difficult to stay in contact with you because you don't like cell phones, right? No, I, I hate them. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've always, kind of, I kind of reluctantly have one, right? Because you know, my family kind of needs to keep in contact with me and, and, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, I've got the ringer permanently turned off. I just don't ever answer my phone. My wife has gotten used to that. You know, she'll call me occasionally, but like, she knows that I'm not going to get back to her, you know, for a little while. Uh, luckily I'm also glued to my phone most of the time, you know, because of Twitter or whatever else. So oh, right. okay. I'm always checking it. Um, but, uh, yeah, talking on the phone. Nah. I, not your jam. Not your jam. No. I mean, if you look at like the the calls on my phone, it's just a constant red like potential spam calls. You know, just like that's it's nobody legitimately calls me anyway. So <laughs> why would I answer the phone? <laughs> so was that the case at, at Valve? Did you notify during your interview? Be like, hey, I don't like phones. Just so you know. What? Uh, no. Back. No. Uh, I mean, I had a cell phone back then. It was probably now back then, right? I had. Uh, do you remember the Razer flip phones? Yes. That's, yes. That's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I had back then. But, um, but no, I didn't hate them as much back then. But see, that's the thing is that back then people actually talked to each other on the phone, right? I mean, nowadays, who uses the phone? It's it's you know, people trying to sell you something. So that's. Um, but no, back then, it wasn't a big deal. But it, you know, when you get. Uh, a desk, you know, like you do at a job and, you know, and they give you your phone, right. And you've got your extension and all that stuff. And, um, 
you know, I kept that for a little while on my desk. And then uh, thing that happens at Valve is you um, you tend to move around a lot. You know, like you move your desks all over the place. And, um, you know, so you have to like, you know, break it down, you know, so, so eventually we got wheels on our, our desks and that was, that made it easier. But like uh, for a while you had to like reconnect everything. And, and I just stopped setting up my phone every time I moved. So, you know, just, it's like, you know, if you want to come talk to me, just come into the office and, and talk to me, you know? Mm. So, so, so when know. you, yeah. when you uh, ended up working on Half-Life 2, was, mm-hmm. were you always brought on as the choreography guy? to set up all the choreography scenes? I was brought on, I think what happened, so so what, the way that I got onto Half-Life 2 was before that I was working on um, an older version of Team Fortress that never shipped. Um, and then when Half-Life 2 was in its final, like, we need to ship this, it was kind of an all hands on deck thing. Um, and one of the things they, asked me to do was that half-life 2 so they at that time you kind of you couldn't ship a game without like multiplayer right and you needed something else to kind of sweeten the deal so um so there was a team that worked on counter-strike source right and uh so i helped a little bit with that uh just getting it going um and also uh half-life source right so i and some other people basically took all of half-life and just you know, made it work. Um, and uh, I only did the things that you like about Half-Life Source. Everything you didn't like about it was somebody else. So if, you know, you have any reservations about that. But um, so so I got really intimate with, um, you know, all of the, at the time, scripted sequences and, you know, all of that, the things that existed in Half-Life and um, uh, was really into it. I just, I really liked doing it. And somebody from that at that point the choreo team uh came to me and asked like hey do you want to do more of this stuff because we could really use level design help and you know some other help and i was like yeah i just you know i said sure you know that sounds awesome um because i was i was really into it like um i took uh you know i was i was in theater you know in high school and stuff and i'm not a big actor but like I appreciate the craft of it, you know, and just sort of the blocking of, you know, setting up stage performances and, you know, making sure, you know, that the audience has, you know, a particular view of, of the characters and, you know, and, and how the view is set up, you know, and the importance of, you know, positioning on the stage and that sort of thing. So, um, so I, I enjoyed f- trying to figure out like how, how do we make these scenes work? Um, in three dimensions, right? With a player who's probably just going to be walking around hitting things with their crowbar, right? Um, but but it was fun. It was fun. Um, and, so would you would you would you yeah. act it out when you were trying to plan these scenes? Would you act it out like they would in a play, like in a theater? No, um, or would not, you? I mean, because craft it obviously I, on paper or something. Um, I mean, it was definitely a team effort, right? So it's like there was uh, the animators who were animating the scene were also versed in how to set, how to block these scenes out. So they would probably spend a lot more time figuring out like, you know, where things would go. And then I would take it and go like, okay, well, when the player's here, when the player's here, when the player's here, like, how do we want these set up? And we would kind of design them um, to 
like from optimal positions. And I would, I as a level designer would try to encourage players to be in certain spots at certain times. And, you know, um, but no, we wouldn't, I mean, the animators would probably, I'm sure, um, do a little bit on paper, but for me, it was always in engine. Uh, I tend to do everything in, you know, in editor, like that's kind of my sketchbook. Um, yeah, it's, it's just easier that way. Like I prefer to see it because it's like, you know, you, you're going to run into a bunch of problems regardless of what you're doing, right? Um, that are going to be engine specific or game specific or whatever. And um, it's just easier to do one pass and make it work in engine and then, then figure it out. I mean, the tools are actually pretty easy to use. So it was nice. Yeah. Can you think of one um, one particular scene that was the most challenging though, of all those choreography scenes that you did? Because you did them also in episode one and two as well, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, most of them. As time went on, there were more people who were learning how to do them, so it wasn't just me. Um, so by episode two, I did probably less than half of them. Um, you know, like the whole first half of episode two was done by other people. Um, and they did a great job. Um, what was the most difficult? The, the thing about the scenes is that we always tried to do something new <laughs> in every scene. So it was like every scene had something difficult about it. Um, the, the dog scene in the scrapyard, that wasn't heavy on choreo, but like the, the, the logic for that one in particular for me I um, I sort of broke the entity system in how much logic I was writing. This was before I started to code. So I was doing everything through logic uh, entities in the map. And I remember basically hitting the limit on what was capable um, and had to go to a programmer and say, um, can you up this limit? Um, and that ended up being pretty difficult. The other one I think was difficult for us was, or for me, um, so Eli's lab, which doesn't seem that difficult, was challenging in that we were trying to encourage downtime. We were trying to set up the scene so that it was, you know, a scene that plays out, but you also had, we wanted to give the player freedom to kind of explore at the same time. So it was, and that's the first time I had done something like that. And I remember being really it was difficult at the time to figure out and to make work. Um, and the hilarious thing about that one was, I remember stressing about it. And uh, one of the very first play tests we did was um, someone's, someone's son uh, brought in, I don't remember who right now, but like, um, so we brought him in, we sat him down, you know, explained the play test and, and uh, just watched him play. And, um, so he enters the airlock, you know, with Mossman talking to him and, and, uh, goes into the elevator and, uh, he's going down the elevator and all he's doing in the elevator is like banging things with his crowbar. Right. So it's like, there's stuff to look at stuff to do. Um, you know, we, things that we expect the player to pay attention to. And he's just like, clang, 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 clang. um, and, uh, uh, we're like, oh man, you know, like, I hope he doesn't do this, the whole play test. Right. Um, and the elevator reaches the bottom floor and the door is open and Eli comes out and says his stuff. And uh, he immediately goes oh, and like runs over to Eli. We're like, oh man, he's so excited. He, he kneels down and just starts 
banging on Eli's leg with his crowbar, like ding, 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 ding. And it's like, you know, the scene's going on, they're talking and whatever. And, and like, we're like, this is a disaster, you know, like, but, you know, and, and it, I remember people are like, well, can we, you know, can we constrain the player in some way? Can we take his weapon away or whatever? And, you know, uh, we're like, no, no, we can't, we shouldn't do that. We can't do that. We want the player to have the freedom. Um, but what we do after every play test is that we, you know, we interview who's play testing and they, they say, or we, we say to them like, well, okay, can you tell us about what happened in the scene, what they said, blah, blah, blah. And he just rattled it all off, right? Like he was paying attention, he was listening. Um, and I think it was, it was a really cool uh, example for us for how some players will, uh, they respond to certain stimulus differently than other players. Mm. Like, you know, audio versus, you know, visual, um, you know, th there's different ways that people kind of take in information and, you know, we'll typically like try to give that information in as many ways as possible because not everybody absorbs it the same way. Right. Um, but anyway, that was a really funny story where we were stressed about it and then he comes in and it's clang, clang, clang. And it was like, Oh, disaster. Um, but it was fun. It turned out all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, the, the game was a complete success. So you must be stoked. It's a good thing to have yeah. on CV. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, the, you know, it's, um, it was amazing to work on it. Right. I mean, I feel really privileged to, to have been asked to work on it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, continued to work on it. Um, because yeah, I mean, having that chance to work on half-life, you know, is great, but like, you know, in that environment, every person really was able to do something special right because the team you know it wasn't that big um so everybody was doing multiple jobs and you know everybody was integral to all the the stuff all the cool stuff that happened in that but i mean <clears throat> like the people that worked on that game were just i mean they really were top of their field right i mean um it was it was one of those cases where you know you feel really uh well, not only intimidated, but you feel like you don't belong there, right? Imposter um, syndrome. It, very much imposter syndrome. I, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a common thing that I think uh, happens with people, especially at, at Valve, is that they feel very inadequate, you know, because they're like, wow, these people are really smart and really, you know, creative and good at their job. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm really lucky that, that I got a chance to work on that for sure. Did, yeah. did Gabe ever come through and look at your work? all the choreography work that you did? Because even by that stage, he was more hands-off, wasn't he? Like he was moving more into the hands-off role and leading, yeah. and leaving the, the game designers to do whatever it is that they needed to do. Yeah, he, he was mostly hands-off. Um, yeah, I mean, there were a few times, you know, he would come through, but honestly, like in my 17 years there, I didn't, uh, I didn't interact a whole lot with Gabe uh we 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 never hit it off that well early on and i think i i uh i i i ended up avoiding him most of my career there you know and uh he wasn't anxious to talk to me either so um so yeah not so much not so much um yeah i'm trying to think of an instance of i can't really think of one no that's all right i really did it yeah. So with with um with Portal Two, you were you pretty much came in during the home stretch, right? Like towards the yeah, end that's a, with with the co op, 
and redesigning and testing everything. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a kind of a common thread in my career at Valve is uh, <laughs> they uh, there there were people who who uh, like to say like, hey, can you stop what you're doing and come help us ship this thing? So I think I yeah I became known as somebody who helped ship products. Um, but uh, but it was something I got good at, you know, like tr figuring out like, okay, here are all the things. How do we turn that into something we could ship, right? Um, but yeah, in Portal Two, there was there was a small team, just like two or three people, I think, um, working on co-op, trying to figure out what what it was, right? Like what it could be, and so they had lots of experiments and um, you know a bunch of levels that were amazing you know they had figured out most of the mechanics by that point um and but just they couldn't finish it because those people were also doing single player levels and it was just, just the logistics didn't work out right so they couldn't didn't have somebody to finish it up so they asked me and a few other folks it was like uh, you know uh gatamba bar and uh g barnett and like the, we were the Three main ones and then we we obviously had like you know some amazing animators and modelers and uh other folks helping us out the sound people and then eric and chet with writing of course but um but yeah so they so we came in and basically took you know uh a string of levels and mechanics and figured out how to turn it into a thing you know um and you know, went and created like the hub for it and, you know, the whole structure around it. Um, we got the robots. I think when we first started playing, it was still the Chells. There was like a, a Chell and then they had another name for it. It was like a blonde Chell. Those were the two characters you played. Because I didn't think they figured out what it was yet. Um, so that was before the, the Atlas and Peabody. And so we got them in and then that's when we really started exploring you know, like, what does it mean to have the robots, you know, like, well, we can explode them and make it fun and uh, have the, the you know, co-op emotes that, you know, like the shaking hands and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, and, and that was honestly Portal 2, I think, was probably one of the more memorable, enjoyable uh, game design experiences with me, for me. Um, you know, like working with that group of people um, under those constraints was was pretty great. Um, like we crunched like crazy because that's you know we had to. That's what you do. But it was really fun. Like it was that fun kind of, you know, like we're we're doing fun stuff. We're solving problems. We're working together. We just we worked together really well. At, I thought at the time, and um, it turned out to be it turned out to be something we we were all pretty proud of. Actually, like it was it was pretty cool. So. Yeah, it's another one where I'm just I'm glad people really enjoy it because it was a lot of fun to make. So you would have had to make a lot of reference to the single player, the the campaign when you were designing the co-op. You'd have to refer to it a lot, I suppose. No, we ignored it completely. Completely, yeah. So yeah, we. How would you even know what the mechanics and all of that are then if you hadn't even referred well, so... to that, or were you just just aware of what the command uh, mechanics were going to be and then you just implement them somehow yeah we um uh we were aware of what was there we had all of the the pieces like in some form or another uh like working in in the, the co-op part right um and i think the stuff that we didn't have any 
anything for when we first started was any of the paint stuff. So we we implemented most of the paint stuff and um but yeah as far as the story and like how that all played out we just didn't pay attention like we we kind of treated it as its own thing mm. that just kind of shared mechanics um because we, a lot of cases we had to kind of solve things our own way because you know you've got four portals instead of two right um you know it it changes a bunch of things and um yeah, so we just didn't <laughs> we didn't pay attention, which was great because like that means I got to play test for them and be surprised, right? Like yeah, yeah, like sort of the 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 evolution of like Wheatley's stuff was just amazing to see. Uh, that was that's so cool. Yeah, it's rare as a developer you get to experience things like as a player, right? So I yeah, I suppose that. well that's that's a good thing if you had no reference to the the main campaign at all, you can go on blind and enjoy the game, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when you were designing that, were you using a whiteboard? I remember Josh Wire was using a whiteboard to to map out designs. Yeah, that that one we did. We ended up using the whiteboard a lot um, because that was the three of us. Like three, um, once we took over, like me and and Gotham and Jeep would spend a bunch of time like going. I had this weird idea for this interaction of this puzzle and then we'd have our scratch whiteboard of you know trying to like explain it to each other um and uh we would do that yeah pretty often um but for us because everything was very done very quickly it was more like just using it to express our idea to the other person right so that way they could contribute and we could kind of get consensus and see if it's going to work. And then, and then, you know, but like the thing with the whiteboard is that um, it's mostly just about sharing ideas. And then the real work happens when you put it in the game, right? Like you want to get things into the game or from, from my perspective is you want to get things into the game as soon as possible, because, you know, it's fine to talk about something on a whiteboard, but um, once you get it in game, then you can show people how it's going to work. You can test how it's going to work. You can, you know, um, it's just a lot more effective that way, right? And in some cases, I mean, obviously it's going to be more work to get it in the game, but like usually not that much more work. And you always see it as a way to get it in and learn a bunch of stuff, even if it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, whiteboards are useful, but honestly, like I have a whiteboard behind me that I bought. You can see that I haven't put it up yet. I don't know if you can see it on the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. can see it. <laughs> but then again, it's like I'm. I guess it doesn't really count because I'm. I don't. I'm in my home office. Um, but uh, but yeah, we would we would have some some whiteboards, but just not as not a whole lot. I remember seeing. Um, I mean, in the context of Valve, there were some whiteboards that were pretty epic. Uh, like on episode two, somebody designed like the whole route. You know and put it on the whiteboard and um i don't know what stage that was in because i was i was working on episode one at the time when they were doing this work on episode two um but if that was if they did that like at the stage of like we haven't built any of the levels yet that's really impressive because for me like i can't i wouldn't even be able to conceptualize that right like i have to build some things and then put them together to make sense of it so I don't know. 
How do you get their balance right with puzzles, right? Because when you're creating the puzzle, there's no way of knowing how difficult it is. Like it, when you're implementing parts of the game, you know what the implementation is. You know how to solve the puzzle, for example, right? Yeah. So besides yeah. playtesting, like how do you how do you get that difficulty right? So somebody doesn't yeah. get frustrated with the puzzle. I mean, that's like that's a million dollar question, right? I mean, it's one of those things where you know, when you make a combat game, you have a lot of dials that you can turn to uh, scale the 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 experience for different players, right? So it's like someone who's, you know, plays Counter-Strike for a living versus someone who's, you know, never played a video game in their life. It's like you can figure out how to turn those dials to make it work for them. When it comes to a puzzle, you can't, right? Like a puzzle is a puzzle. I don't know of any... I mean, you probably could, but we never figured out how. Because um, I don't know of anybody who designs a puzzle that is scalable for different players, right? Like, the puzzle has to work for everybody. So, uh, I mean, the cop-out answer, right, is that you just do a lot of playtesting. Mm. Um, but, I mean, leading up to that, there's, there's always this thought process of um, what is my uh, ultimate puzzle what is my ultimate challenge for the player right and usually it's like you're trying to think of like what what is your tentpole feature like what is your gimmick or your cool thing that you want to try and do um and you figure out the ultimate challenge for that uh and sometimes you don't realize it's the ultimate challenge sometimes it ends up being like you know the next two ultimate challenge um but when you do that you start designing something but then you inevitably if you play test it, you inevitably go, okay, there are like three or four things in here which the players don't really understand or know about. So now you start designing the lead up to that puzzle, right? And you start explaining these little bits and decisions um, that plant the seed in the player's head that they, uh, like there's a sweet spot in there where you say, you teach a player how to do a thing and you want them to forget about it just long enough that when they get to the puzzle and utilize that thing that they were taught, they're like, oh, aha, I'm, I'm a genius, right? Like, I can't believe I thought of this. This is, you know, uh, I, this is such a, I'm so smart. And, you know, um, <laughs> like that's, that's what you want to be able to do. Um, but, you know, everybody thinks differently. The advantage to doing co-op, which was great, was that um, you had two people, right? And um, what we realized, actually, this is another thing, was that we realized that um, when we started designing things the first time, uh, we were designing them with sort of what we had done in the past, like for a single person. But once you throw two people at a problem, suddenly those problems become a lot easier, right? Because people tend to talk to each other and you work out problems faster when you're talking to someone else, right? Um, mm. Like I do it even when it's like, I'll have a problem. Did you ever have this ever happened to you where it's like, oh man, I've got a problem and you can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. And you start to explain it to someone else. And halfway through explaining it, you're like, I got it. Right. Like that's, it's what programmers call the rubber, rubber duck, rubber ducking or something like that, where it's like, you have a little rubber duck on your desk and you just explain the problem to the rubber duck and then you'll inevitably like solve it. Um, so even that alone, like having two people, you have another person to kind of talk things through and then things 
came a lot easier, you know, than they would have um, if it were just you. So, yeah. so, so it was, I don't know if I answered your question, but like it was, well, uh, yeah, it was you, tricky. You, yeah, it's very <laughs> tricky. I mean, I've sometimes played games like Portal and Zelda and I overcomplicate the puzzle. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about, I'm overcomplicating it. And then you find the answer and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so simple. So you, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, that you, happens too. Yeah. yeah. So you can kind of flip between feeling real dumb and a genius depending <laughs> on the puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We, we always shoot for genius if we can manage it. Yeah. Yeah. So you were one of the, the brain child or the brain children, I suppose, of Counter-Strike Go, right? That was, that was something that you I would helped gestate. I, I wouldn't say that. Um, I, well, let me give you the history of what it was. So I worked on Counter-Strike Source in a small capacity. And then um, somewhere around, I think it was before Left 4 Dead, um, me and another guy who's still working on Counter-Strike Go, we started thinking about what like Counter-Strike 2 would be. Um, you know, and, and that was around the time that I think Modern Warfare had come out, mm. right? And we were like, and we didn't, it's like we, we looked at that and said, wow, you know, these guys did something amazing, right? We don't think it's necessarily right for Counter-Strike, but is that a direction we can take Counter-Strike, something like that? Um, and so we started doing a bunch of experiments and um, just honestly, we spent a bunch of time just sort of uh, uh, breaking apart Modern Warfare and just trying to understand what, you know, how they were as successful as they were excuse me and um and then and then you know like most projects do at valve um i think i probably got asked <laughs> to ship another game probably left for dead um and that kind of took on a back burner but then um you know jump forward to maybe it was like 2011 or something like that and the the other guy who I was working with, Ido Magal, he had started up what was Counter-Strike Go. Uh, and I don't know if it was called Go at the time, but I think it started out as a um, an Xbox port. So, um, you know, they started working on that with um, uh, an external team. And, and I think they started to realize that this is like, wh why shouldn't we turn this into the next Counter-Strike, right? Like, this was something that was, you know, could potentially turn into a, a great thing. And so um, that's around the time that I started working on it. He asked me to come. I think he asked me. I don't remember. Maybe I just jumped on myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I was really excited about doing it. And, yeah, it was, that was sort of the... And it was in a weird spot, right? Because even when we shipped, you know, like we weren't happy with it. Um, you know, it, it felt like what people kind of, uh, you know, accused it of being is that it felt like, you know, it was like, well, this started as a, as a port, right? And it kind of did. So it's like, we, we worked really hard to try and steer that into what Counter-Strike eventually became, right? Um, but it, but it took a while, it took a while to get there. Um, but it did, yeah. Because I would think that first-person shooters are probably one of the hardest genres, primarily because the genre seems to evolve so quickly. I mean, it's, it's very oversaturated now. It probably wasn't at the time when you first brought it out, but I mean, it, to try and keep up 
to date with everything because obviously there's so many shooters now and it's 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 evolving so rapidly and was that yeah. i mean you looked at modern warfare but as as it, as time went on um were you looking at other games i mean by the time you ship ship the game um i mean no. the shooter the shooter genre had probably already evolved yeah i mean keep in mind that like so right when modern warfare was came out you know it's like and probably before i don't know if if they're the ones that sort of popularized it but uh you know maybe D, you know, dave defeat did but like you know the aim down sights was the normal thing right you know it's like um you know uh pressing alt fire i'm gonna aim down sights i'm gonna put a gun you know up in my screen it's gonna auto zoom it's gonna slow me down right and it's like um that was the standard at the time and when we were looking at modern warfare it wasn't so much like what did they do for gameplay honestly it was like we, we were focusing more on um you know how they approached the single player and those experiences right like um uh like how their how their enemies worked how their checkpoints worked how you know their ammo um management worked and and uh you know how their their damage system worked how the um all of that stuff like and it was more of a it's not how can we emulate this it's what is it they're doing what are the decisions that they made that that worked for them that we can deconstruct and think about in the context of counter-strike right um and when we continued to work on counter-strike we didn't have any concern about what other first person games were doing that much it was more like how do we make sure that we're true to what counter-strike is with the next iteration right um you know like because i i mean when we first came out like i remember there were people who were just annoyed like it's this is a this is a game and it doesn't have aim down sights right like what what the hell is this right and um so i mean that was you know a generation of people who were really into things like modern warfare um but we we weren't really concerned with what other people were doing that much um i mean unless it was something that just knocked it out of the park i mean re the thing is is that respawn um that that generation of respawn they were they were the you know leagues above everybody else and so we were paying attention to them but but um it was more like like i said it's like more more like what figuring out what it is that they did that was successful and then recontextualizing that in you know counter-strike's world and sometimes it just doesn't recontextualize right so it's like it's not really useful but um but it's always a good experiment to to figure out um and i still think counter-strike has they've kept their own identity right i mean oh, it's yeah still gonna counter-strike is yeah I, I think that's the you know it's part it's because they haven't uh succumbed to you know a bunch of modern designs right um counter-strike works right and it has worked it's like <laughs> you know i don't want to a lot of people use like the chess uh you know uh argument right it's like you know don't mess with chess and uh, i don't, I don't want to put counter-strike <laughs> aside chess but there are a lot of things about counter-strike that um it's really hard to think of changing right i mean there's certain things about counter-strike you change them it's just not counter-strike anymore yeah um, 
it you know i mean it's evolved don't get me wrong right i mean you know uh 1.6 versus source versus you know go they're all different games um you know once you get to know them right i mean when you if you're a player of those games they're you know they feel very different um but and that's i think that's one of the things that's really a signature of counter-strike is that you know the feel is very distinctive right like the feel isn't a bunch of these mechanics coming in to create the soup of mechanics it's it's much more subtle than that right like it's tied to the movement it's tied to the engine it's tied to you know the uh the subtleties and how the network code works right stuff like that um so and it, i think yeah it's honestly i think that's the reason um counter-strike took so long for it to have a, a sequel or another game is that i think there was just a lot of people like at valve who didn't quite understand what counter-strike was and and uh, to be honest like i th you know it took me a while to really get it right uh like to really get what counter-strike is uh what it is that people really love about it and and uh hold in high regard um so it's a it's a special project you know it's a special game <laughs> it's uh um yeah i spent a long time on counter-strike as well but yeah it's a good it's a good thing it's an interesting thought process in terms of when you're creating a game, how much inspiration do you take from somewhere else as opposed to just using your own original ideas? Well, that's even if they are original, you might think they're original and then you've actually subconsciously borrowed from something else. I think, yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, right? Like, you know, there's no such thing as an original idea, right? Um, I there's a... There's a funny example. I remember sort of experiencing this firsthand. Sorry, I'm going to diverge into children for just a second. Okay. Um, uh, when uh, so I have kids, and like when they were when we were figuring out names for kids, you know, you have names in head in your head, like you have a list of names, and um, then you start going out into the world and seeing what's popular, what other people are thinking about. You're like oh crap, right? Like I thought I was being really creative, <laughs> but it turns out we're all just a product of our environment right like we're yeah. all we're all everything that we're you know we come up with is just something that was had a seed planted in us a while back um but uh i mean but to, but to answer your question more specifically um yeah it i mean i think it's important to stay up to date on games right on on what's happening in you know the gaming world and design in uh all sorts of things and um i mean a lot of what I think I think it's more like, you know, being aware of what exists so you can choose not to use it, right? I mean, like uh it's better to be aware of uh, a you know, whether it's a mechanic or it's a, you know, specific in interface uh type design, you know, knowing that something exists and experiencing it and making a conscious decision for a particular reason not to use it, you know, is much better than just putting your head in the sand, right? I mean, um, because you're not going to make smart decisions that way. Um, but, you know, I'm, I guess, you know, the, my approach to the games have always been about trying to stand out a little bit, right? I mean, partly it's about, for me at least, trying something new. And usually if I'm trying something new, it's, 
you know, new to others as well, right? So, um, yeah. But I mean, you know, like anything, right? Like, <laughs> well, here's a good example. So when I started uh, uh, my game, Little Kitty Big City, um, you know, I was like, why isn't there a game that you can play as a cat, right? It's like, that's the honest question, right? Like, like uh, my kids and I, we were like, this, this should exist as a game, right? Like, why don't I make this game? Um, you know, I just want to do silly things as a cat. I want to like, you know, do things from a cat's perspective and, you know, interact with different things. Um, and, you know, hey, it turns out, there was another game, you know, possibly more that was getting developed, right? And it, it's like, you know, um, you know, it's like when one movie studio, you know, does uh, one movie and then another movie studio does a really similar movie, right? Like Ants and uh, Bugs Life, right? You remember that? They both yeah, came out at the same time, yeah. you know? And, it, and it's, it's a product of like, not necessarily what's trending, but like sometimes things get, it's just, you know, there's a, um, Things get greenlit, you know, around the same time for similar reasons because of whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's it's hard to be original, that's for sure. Um, so I think the you know just the right thing to do is to find find your niche, right? Find the thing that uh, you you want to explore that's the most interesting to you, and and you know. Hopefully, other people find it interesting as well. So, with your current game, Little Kitty Big City, mm -hmm. when when you started it out, has it turned out the way? Hey, yeah, good plug. <laughs> I didn't even intend to do that. That was a good. That was good timing. Um, did you always intend it? Uh, intend it for it to be the way it's it's turning out now, or has there been like a lot of trial and error with it? It uh, definitely trial and error. I mean. Um, so the, the history of what, of how it came to be was, it really literally was my kids and I, so, um, I was doing little projects with my kids, um, you know, teaching them the program, doing some game design, and we were just doing fun little things. And we would do these, you know, kid centric, you know, uh, brainstorming sessions. And one of those was, you know, like we have cats and you know like what if the cat got outside what do the cats do right i think we saw a video one time of like a cat with a camera on it it's like this is amazing like why you know i'd love to explore the environment as a cat right and what's more fun to explore than a city um so we were just like we should totally do this so i had some assets um that i bought from an asset store and just sort of mocked it up and it was like my 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 strategy was, you know, I'm just going to make this thing that's like top down um, and see if, see if there's a vibe there, right? Like see if there's something that feels kind of cool and, and, and fun about it. Um, and I just made a little thing and, you know, put some ambient, you know, city soundscapes on it and uh, threw it up on Twitter. It's just like, Hey, look at this funny thing that we made. Like might do this with the kids and um, you know, and, and then like, it, it got shared like a you know tens of thousands of times i'm not sure um but uh that was the first time something had gone viral for me right and it was like whoa people really do love cats don't they <laughs> <laughs> um and you know i mean 
don't make this I, I don't think it's it's a good thing for people to be making decisions about what to do based on what goes viral necessarily but in this case it was like we sat back and went oh okay can we do something with this um i mean we meaning me and my kids uh and then eventually just me uh you know is there a game here and so it was at that point it was figuring out like well you know what what can you do as a cat what uh you know, what are other aspects of things, um, you know, from, from, uh, okay, to be honest, like, so part of it was like, what can you do as a cat? But then there was also this other part of me going, man, I really love like, you know, architectural design, like urban sprawl and, and, and density, you know, especially in places like Tokyo or Taipei, right? Like, I just, I really love that. Cause I had just taken a trip to the Taipei and took a bunch of pictures and, um, you know how the buildings were how like the history of you know how these things got built up and um just a bunch of stuff so so at the time it was like okay cat people like cats i'd love to explore you know this idea of a cat city oh i'd really love to explore you know making a city and you know doing all these fun things um you know is there a game there and um yeah so i just kind of jumped in and started experimenting with with things um and you know, with the absence of like typical uh, traditional gameplay things that people sort of lean on, right? Which is you know a lot of combat uh, type systems or um, you know survival. At one point, I was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe this could be a survival game. Um, but uh, but eventually, I just felt like the the audience for this is. You know, it's it's an everybody audience, right? Like it's a it's a do you love cats, right? Like do you like cats? Like that's the audience. That's that's kind of what I wanted it to be. Um and so that helped drive like what decisions I'd made for for things you would do in the game, you know. Um and then on top of that, you know, it's like started coming up with fun characters and hired a you know amazing writer and, and uh you know, so it was just interesting characters that you would meet and talk to and they'd have their own problems and they were quirky. And, um, and so that made it a lot of fun. Mm. You know, I was chasing so, the fun for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause I've watched quite a bit of footage, but is it, is it like an open world game or is it going to be a bit more linear, even though that it's sort of set in a city? It's, it's open world. It's more like, um, it, it's, it's sort of a mini open world, right? Right. So it's a city where, um, you uh it's it's vertical as well so it's like there's buildings and you climb buildings and you gain the ability to to climb climb buildings um so it's you know i mean it's primarily me i, I have some help with it from another level designer but i don't have a big team working on environment right it's like traditionally indie games with solo developers it's like well they'll take an engine and they'll take like a terrain engine and make an island and hey, they're done, right? It's like, it's like, that's, <laughs> you know, it's cheap, it's easy, you know, it's like, um, and here I am going like, oh, I'm going to create a dense, you know, couple of city blocks or whatever. And, and I'm like, I must take you're so an much idiot. time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's so much fun. Um, so, you know, it's, it's open in that it, it, uh, it's not linear. Um, you're not forced to go in one place to another. Uh, and I thought that was an important thing to 
try in the game. And I've honestly, I've never done an open game, open world game before, uh, even if, if it's this size, you know, so um, there are a lot of challenges with that. But, but yeah, um, but like any open world game, right, like there's, there's a linearity to it at the beginning that sort of eases you into things, right, and then it, then it opens up. So, um, and that's just to make sure the players aren't completely lost yeah yeah are you are you referencing other any other open world games just to get an idea of scope and how you should construct it um yeah open world games now yeah i I mean probably the one of the bigger influences for the approach is um a short hike so like that's just a little game that i think is just such a tight package that's you know has some amazing uh decisions made in there where it's open but it's designed and it pulls the player enough in certain directions to where it you know it feels um you know you don't you don't get lost you feel like there's something always to do and and uh, you know, you always feel like you're going in the right direction, even though you can go anywhere. And sometimes there's the illusion of choice, and um, but there always feels like there's choice to go wherever. So you know, there's that's a big inspiration for me. And then of course, you know, I'm a big fan of Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, right? Like, uh, it's yeah, a huge game uh, that's you know hugely influential. Um, and I don't want to say my game is anything you know, remotely close to that, but like it's, it, there are a lot of decisions they made that I think are just really good ones that, you know, I will definitely, you know, uh, lean on, right. Um, to, to help me decide how to approach some of these problems. So, um, uh, hey, I don't think you're the only one. I think a lot of design. <laughs> no, I know it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You look at a lot of indie games, right. It's like, oh, it's like a mini Le- Legend of Zelda, which I, you know, I think is great, honestly. Well, even triple A games now too. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You can see it. You're yeah. like, oh yeah. You can see where the influence is. Yeah. 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 That's such a good game though. I mean, like they nailed, oh, they nailed so much stuff. Uh, God, I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah. So am I. So am I. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a wait though, but, um, how do you how do you deal with the fact that you're a game designer and you have to play games to keep yourself up to date as well? I mean, where do you find the time? It's <laughs> a good question. Um yeah. Uh a lot of th- <laughs> honestly like these days I don't play as much games as I used to just cuz yeah. you know, I've got three kids. So, you know, they all go to school. I've got activities. I've got my own job right like not only am i making a game i'm also doing the managing i'm doing the producing i'm doing the business you know it's Mm. like it's um i i mean i'm a workaholic i work too much um but uh i fit things in every once in a while like um things that i really want to play usually at night um before bed my wife goes to bed and i'll play some games uh i was playing uh uh potionomics recently um little um shop uh, uh, shopkeeper game that's amazing um, but yeah I've, you know it's tough it's really tough to find time uh, usually it's one of those you know like okay I've got x number of slots in the day you know and I you know eight of them are filled up with you know sleep well what if I just you know move the sleep out of the yeah. slot and it's like 
can I survive on six hours of sleep? Yeah. Yeah. I also started, I also started working out again because like the pandemic just, you know, turned me into a big couch potato and <laughs> um, needed to get off my butt again. So I had to find time for that. So do you just, I mean, cause one of the things I have to do because I'm similar to you, I don't have that much time, but I basically have a whole year and I'll set aside time just for specific games. I'll be like, okay, this is how many games I can play in the year more than likely. So I'll just set, a, set time aside for these particular ones. You're a lot more organized than I am. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a backlist that's like, oh, someday I'll find time for that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I I should do that. I should do that. I should have like schedule out my my play time. No, usually my process is like, I'll be like, okay, I'll buy that game and then I'll get to that in the near future and then some other game will come out that I'm really interested in and I'll just start playing that one immediately and then this one will never get played. Yeah, it's that's my bad process for it. Yeah. But <laughs> So how how do you keep yourself motivated cuz you're your own boss now, right? I mean, even yeah. at Valve, yeah, there's a non-hierarchical structure in ways, but and everybody's kind of everyone's boss, but at the same time, I mean, you are responsible for the game in every aspect of it, right? You have to find the motivation from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the yeah, the buck stop was stops with me, I guess is the the term, right? Um uh I, I have all the responsibility. I I've never had a problem with motivation. Um like that's one of the things, honestly, like at Valve, I kind of felt like I had too much motivation, right? Like sometimes it was like calm, you know, slow down a little bit. Um and that would frustrate me because I would want to do stuff that I couldn't do or, um, you know, people didn't like that I was doing what I was doing it. And <laughs> so I've never had a huge problem with motivation. Um, I, I, I'm more on the spec, the, the side of, I've got a backlog of things that I want to do. Right. Like, you know, I, I've got three games in the pipe, right. Not counting the ones that I worked on and haven't finished yet that I want to get to. And, you know, Every once in a while, I'll just need a. See, this is maybe this is a problem. I don't know, right? Like, because what I'll do is it's like, oh, I need a break from my current game, and then I'll just work on another game. Another right? game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, it's, I don't know. There's way too much to do and not enough time to do it. That's always been my problem. Yeah. Would you? I don't say have to relax good? either, Reese. Really? <laughs> no, I don't. That's I don't. a common problem, though. I've, no, I've yeah. noticed that a lot of devs find it hard to shut off like you can't shut I, off the brain i mean you must have I ideas all the time i mean it I, I just i can't help it or i mean it's you know you watch a movie you're, you know you're engrossed in the movie right you're you know um so those are the kind of things right i can kind of at least focus on something entertaining but but otherwise I, I it's I don't know is it a blessing is it a curse I'm not sure it's like I remember uh back when my my wife and I started hiking you know just like hey let's get out let's do some hiking and I hadn't done a whole lot up to that point and we're doing these hiking and I started thinking about like like oh you know like who's making these trails and like how were they made and how long ago and like <laughs> you know who are the trailblazers and like oh wouldn't it be cool if I was a trailblazing game and you know it's like just ah just I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just little ideas, right? Like, it's just fun to think about them, but it's hard to shut it off. Yeah, that's true. Do you manage to get much sleep? 
I do. I, I oh, love sleep. That's that's yeah. good. Well, that's good at least. It would be, yeah. It would be it would be very bad if you couldn't even get to sleep because you had all these ideas all the time. No, I I uh, that's another thing is that uh, I uh people I remember my uh people get je- jealous uh when they find out that like I can just fall asleep um like if I lie down and you know and I'm even remotely tired I'll just I'll just go out um I love sleeping and it's weird it's like I'll think and think and think but it doesn't keep me up right like it just I think until the point where my body says okay that's enough and then bam and then, I just fall and asleep and you just KO yeah yeah so I don't know. Um, yeah, sleep is good. I like sleep, I like lots of sleep. I'll sleep. That's a bit, that's another problem though. Is that like if I if there's no children to wake me up or nobody there to wake me up or an alarm or whatever, I'll sleep for twelve hours. Really? I just, yeah, I I sleep a lot if given the chance. <laughs> well, I don't probably, know. It's probably your body just wanting to relax, I suppose. Maybe. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, finally, I get a chance to relax. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap up there. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure talking to you, imparting yeah. your knowledge into me and others, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, if anyone wants to keep up to date with, with you and, and your game, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. Um, so if they want to check out Little Kitty Big City, they can go to littlekittybigcity.com. Or uh, the Steam page, just search for Little Kitty Big City on Steam and wishlist it, please. Mm. And yeah, Re- release and date. Find Any release date? Uh, we don't have one yet. We don't have one yet. Um, That's probably but... a good thing because then you'll end up with crunch, won't you? As soon as you give a release date. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. We've, I've learned my lesson. Yeah, <laughs> on that before. I made I made a, a side comment one time. Somebody asked me, you know, and I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to try to get it out x blah 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 and of course that's what went on all of the articles at that point so all right yeah. no more no more <laughs> yeah. tba so, there you go tba there you go yeah cats don't have deadlines so yeah no deadline mm. yeah cool all right well there's the show everyone make sure you share like and subscribe and until next time stay safe all right thanks reese see ya, see ya.